Greetings, rare ones, and welcome to the Rare Birds Emerging Markets Podcast with me, your host, Joanne A. Hamilton. I created this podcast because I was curious to learn about the startup ecosystems in developing countries. The Rare Birds Emerging Markets Podcast is where you will hear me have unique conversations with early stage startup founders, ecosystem builders, innovators, and investors from across emerging markets. It is an opportunity for all of us operating in these countries to learn, share, and exchange experiences beyond our borders. Although complex and varied, there are more similarities than differences in the narratives. If you're new, welcome. Rare ones come here to gain fresh perspective and insights into what is happening on the ground from the people who are creating shifts and driving the action. It is where they can connect through stories which are distinctive, honest, and relatable. Thanks for listening in, and I hope at the end, you feel compelled to join our growing global community of rare ones. Greetings, rare ones, and welcome back to Series 9 of the Rare Birds Emerging Markets Podcast, Education and Adoption, Blockchain in Africa. As always, I'm here, me, your host, Joanne A. Hamilton. So today is podcast episode 191, featuring from South Sudan, Sonia John. And today's topic is titled, The Role of EdTech in blockchain adoption. Now, before I tell you a little bit about today's episode, I'd like to remind you about our bonus episode series called Guyana Startup Nation. Uh, we released the first installment called The Origin Story last week, Friday. And this Friday, we're going to be releasing The Guyana Story. Again, featuring Stephen Jasmine. So do look forward for the next drop this Friday. And I would love your feedback. If you're enjoying listening to it, please let me know. Uh, do write us a review on your favorite podcast platform. And if it's something that you'd like us to continue doing, yeah, let us know and we'll do that too. Okay, so getting back to today's episode featuring Sonia. Sonia is currently living in Kenya. She is a blockchain developer, writer, and speaker, and she is also an ecosystem developer at Filecoin. She's passionate about the decentralized web and all the endless possibilities within it. She believes that it is not enough to know and be willing, but to act. She is currently working on Porium, a Web3 focused distributed online learning platform. And this is in addition to all the other stuff that she does, which you will learn about. So guys, what are you going to learn about in today's episode? You're going to get to know more about Sonia, her background, where she's from, how she got into Bitcoin. She talks a little bit about her life in South Sudan and then getting into Kenya. Uh, she details how she taught herself to code, how she eventually got involved with the IPFS community. And then we dive into her startup, which is called Porium. You'll get to learn a little bit more about the challenge Porium is solving. You'll learn about the tech behind Porium, lessons learned. And Sonia shares with you a little bit about what she hopes to do in the future. So um, Sonia also gave uh, her details in this podcast. So please do reach out to Sonia 
If you'd like to learn more about her work with Filecoin as an ecosystem developer, or if, just, if you are just curious and you want to get involved with the IPFS community of which she is heavily involved in Kenya and across the African continent. Okay, guys, so that's it for me. I hope you enjoy today's episode. And as always, I will see you at the end. Bye for now. Greetings, Sonia, and welcome to the Rivers podcast. Thank you, Joanne. Thank you for having me. It is an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast, Sonia. You're officially a rare one now. <laughs> you were always a rare one. You're like officially, <laughs> you're like official rare one. Okay? Awesome, awesome. Yay. Where do I get my badge and my bird? <laughs> you're going to get your gear soon. It's on its way. It's on its way. No, but no, seriously. Thank you so much for giving me some of your time. I know how busy you are. So Sonia, to begin, who is Sonia? Tell us. <laughs> what a question. <laughs> What a question. Um, Give me an answer. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I should go the philosophical angle on this, but um, <clears throat> uh, yeah, professionally, I am a blockchain developer. I am a technical writer and a self-described Web3 enthusiast. Um, I have been working in this ecosystem for the last three to four years now. Um, but before that, I was working um, at one of Africa's biggest telecommunications companies, um, MTN, back in my home country, South Sudan. Um, these days you will most likely find me in Nairobi, um, but I think once travel is maybe reinstated in some parts of the world, that might change. Um, but I wasn't always here. I think um, for, for about five years, I had gone back to my home country to work there for a while and during my time there, um, there's, there was always signs of trouble around the place. Um, because for example, in my work with Adam TN, we would always receive um, instructions to kind of shut down networks in certain specific geographical locations, you know, as directed from the company, uh, from the government. And at the time it didn't really click for me that this was a type of censorship, this was a type, this was a type of um, failure of, of centralized governance. Um, and it wasn't really until we had um, a cascading failure of financial policies that pretty much led to hyperinflation, um, which kind of brought with it uh, a loss of um, a lot of jobs for a lot of people because companies suddenly had to kind of cut down a lot of their employees. Um, a lot of investment had to leave the country. People were losing all their life savings, I think myself included. And at the time, um, you know, um, I wasn't familiar with uh, digital money, with digital currency, with Bitcoin, Ethereum, and all these solutions that I, I would say I'm pretty familiar with today. So it wasn't until I was sharing you know, my story with a friend, just kind of telling them, look, um, we have, you know, the economy in Zetadent went south, you know, um, we have hyperinflation at about 300%. Um, and he said, oh, that's too bad. You know, if only you knew about Bitcoin, um, mm -hmm. you would have perhaps um, get to keep some of your life savings. Um, and I think for me, that was the day that turned my life around because 
it was the day that kind of started my journey into Web3. Um, and pretty much what led me here today. Bitcoin, which as we speak is at $52,000. <laughs> Amazing, right? I mean, I, I always think about um, if all the people in my country were kind of familiar with this technology, what it would have done for our mm. economy. But alas, um, a lot of this uh, information kind of clicks in retrospect. Um, so since we learned about it, since I personally learned about it, I kind of made it my own mission to help anyone who might find themselves in a situation that I was in, you know, mm. potentially losing a lot because they did not have the, the information that could help them, you know. Um, so wherever I could, I, I just, I try to help as many people as I could learn about this technology, learn about the benefits that it could have for them personally, uh, for their businesses, um, you know, and even, even for their families, which is really the best we can do. Great. So you mentioned two things that I want to uh, just expand on just a little bit for listeners who are not sure. MTN is a, I believe MTN is, is headquartered in South Africa, right? Is that correct? Yes. And they're, yes, they uh, are, but I think, uh, yeah, yeah, it's okay. a communications company. Last right. I left them, they had about 22 operations in, in 22 African countries. They yeah. might have increased that number. I don't know. Yeah. So you were working for them. How how long did you work for MTN? Um, I was there between 2013 and 2016. Okay. And also your country, South yeah, Sudan. Yes. You are my first guest from South Sudan. I'm so excited about that as well. <laughs> I haven't had anyone from South Sudan. <laughs> I've been navigating my way around the continent. I'm going to have someone from Somalia uh -huh. in this series, which is oh, so exciting. Yeah. But <laughs> for those who don't know the history, you know, Sudan broke into two. So you're from South Sudan. So that's where you were born and raised, right? In South Sudan? Uh, no, I was actually born in... Okay, so it was Sudan at the time, one country. Okay. Um, right. Yeah. Sadly, because the country was torn up in war, we, we were brought to Kenya as part of the UN refugee program, and we stayed here until, I think, uh, the year 2000, uh, when we... It's quite a long story. I never like to get into it, but... You don't um, have Long to. story short, I... Yeah, um, I, I did most of my studying in Kenya, um, okay. up to high school, and then, yeah, I studied economics and statistics at Cavendish College. Um, and then I pretty much started working um, in, in, in South Sudan, and then I've been moving around since then. Okay, brilliant. And so we actually find me now is Nairobi, yeah. Okay, good. So you set the tone for us. How did you specifically get into tech? And this is a very interesting story. So can you give us the short version of how you taught yourself to code? <laughs> Well, um, the short version is I was studying day and night um, for 18 months, um, pretty much uh, because when I when I when I moved from from South Sudan to Kenya, I had with me, I think, four hundred dollars um, and, you know, just try to navigate what to do with this amount of money, which at the at the time represented 
all I had left in the world. I thought, okay, um, I've heard that if I if I learned to code, um, I might have a good chance. Um, so what I did is I bought the cheapest laptop I could find. I think it was a refurbished laptop. Got it for two hundred and fifty dollars, um, and then I went home and I installed Ubuntu Linux, and I thought, okay. Best thing to do is to start with HTML and CSS. All right. And that's where I started. So I built the first website, um, test website. I built the second test website. Um, and then after that, I, I learned about Ethereum and Bitcoin. Um, and after learning about it, I was so intrigued by the technology that I kind of looked up all the source codes that I could find for for Bitcoin and Ethereum. Um, I created my first GitHub account um, because although I had been working with softwares at MTN, I had never really gone into learning how softwares are built. Um, I only learned how to integrate them, how to kind of um, get information from them, you know, because we're doing a lot of data intelligence analysis. Um, but anyway, now I'm not even doing the short version anymore. Anyway, um, <laughs> short version is... <laughs> What's a short version? We short don't do version. short versions on this podcast. <laughs> okay. I feel like I'm not doing that anymore. It's all the good. short version is I, I, I got as all the cryptography courses I could find on Coursera. I, I got all the courses that I could find on understanding distributed data structures, all, all the courses that I could find on understanding um, what blockchain technology is. And, you know, it was through that journey that I pretty much picked up a lot of the challenges um, that I, I identified for a lot of people when they're in the process of learning about blockchain technology, um, which is something that we might cover later on as, as we go on. For sure. That's that's a really, really powerful story. I mean, the long version is that Sonia just taught, locked herself at home and for many hours throughout the day, she just taught herself to code consistently. She was just like, I don't have anything else going on at the moment, so I'm going to make this happen for myself. <laughs> and she did. And when you see how far she I is like now, yeah, I mean, and all the work that you're doing now. So tell our, tell our, tell our audience a little bit about what you're doing right now and and the role that you play in this entire ecosystem. Um, yeah, sure. So after dabbling with a lot of the different code bases that I that I found my hands on, um, I was lucky enough to link up with a crew of developers who are interested in building a distributed marketplace. Um, and at the time, we had the idea of setting up the marketplace um, with a masternode system. And so that was the first uh, blockchain-based solution that I built as a, as a decentralized application. Um, and once we had the system up and running, um, I think we were all satisfied that we, we were kind of familiar with a lot of the fundamentals of learning that type of blockchain network. Um, and that led me to my next project, which was a, a spot ticketing um, application. Um, and I got together with a group of developers from Croatia, and the idea was to build a ticketing, 
TikTok distributed application that would run on the VeChain network um, that people could use to kind of book a lot of the tickets for live sporting events that they wanted. Um, sadly, with this startup, because we were not able to raise funds, we kind of decided to dissolve. Um, and it was at that point that I, I, I felt that I had been learning um, enough about IPFS because I had been doing a lot of their courses on Proto School. Um, and I kind of set up my first IPFS community meetup in Nairobi that was in 2019. Um, and we had three people there. We, we were a total of four people, so myself and three other people. Um, and so we're sitting in this room, I'm trying to introduce what IPFS technology is to this group of people. And they, you know, they're giving me the, the funniest look I've ever seen because you're pretty much talking about something that was almost inconceivable at, at the time because you know we were introducing a technology that had the bold statement of you know trying to replace HTTP um, and from that experience I, I, I just kind of thought hey wouldn't it be amazing if a lot more people learned about you know distributed systems um, and so we created the first IPFS <coughs> uh, community meetup <coughs> in Nairobi um, and we had several other meetups after that. Um, and that led us to kind of linking up with a startup to create an IPFS-based course that would be offered on their learning platform. And then once, once we did that, you know, we kind of had an explosion in the interest of, of, of this technology because we suddenly had people in different um, locations in the continent uh, learn about IPFS almost at the same time. Um, so that led us to kind of creating um, IPFS meetup groups in South Africa, in Zimbabwe, um, Lagos, and the latest addition to our IPFS Africa community group is um, IPFS Uganda. Uh, so what I do most of these days is pretty much stewarding the IPFS Africa community, um, you know, trying to grow the community, trying to increase or maximize the developer experience for people who are trying to learn about this new technology, um, you know, and just kind of improving the overall developer journey uh, for anyone who's interested in, you know, dabbling with this new technology. Yeah, and you you do a lot of uh, courses and workshops as well, don't you, for different organizations? Um, yes, so some, some, sometimes I do engage in external speaking events. Um, so I've spoken at certain conferences and uh, certain events, definitely. Um, it's something that I have found interesting, uh, being a technical writer and a developer, is that um, I find that I, I like to share what I have learned so far. And one of the base, best ways of sharing that is maybe organizing a workshop here and there to kind of uh, take people through it. Um, and it's something that I will definitely be continuing to do throughout this year. Um, so if anyone is interested, they can always check out um, my website to see if we have any workshops coming up. Brilliant. And now let's talk about your startup. And now we can put this in the context of what, we, what we're going to dive into today, which is the role of tech ed mm -hmm. in blockchain adoption. So what is your startup? Mm -hmm. What problem is it solving? Yeah, definitely. I think before I can describe what 
our solution is, I, I would like to kind of preface with what the challenge we are trying to solve is, um, you know, because if you can understand where we're coming from, then maybe, you know, you can appreciate the solution that we're bringing. Um, and before I can even describe what the challenge is, um, I think it would be even better to start with what the overall mission of um, blockchain blockchain is, right? Because if we're, if we're going to talk about why we need education um, to maximize blockchain adoption, um, why, why are we focusing on blockchain specifically um, as, you know, as, as, as the focal point for our solution? Um, and the way to answer that is usually to describe why we need to decentralize the web. Um, and the way that I describe that to a lot of people who, who are kind of coming into the ecosystem for the first time, you know, they're hearing that, you know, this, there's this whole community of people who are trying to decentralize the web. What does that mean? Um, well, the way that I describe it is that, you know, the, the ability to easily and efficiently transfer value um, without, you know, what we've come to know as centralized institutions acting as, you know, clearing agents is, is at the heart of peer-to-peer -peer technology. And peer-to-peer -peer technology is what is a, is the central tenant of Web3 technology. Um, you know, we're trying to solve the problem of data being stored in centralized silos. Okay. Um, you know, trying to address uh, perhaps censorship prone platforms and services that we've come to rely on um, for our daily usage. You know, as an average um, internet user uses at least 100 pla platforms just to get access to a lot of the basic services that we've come to rely on every day. And we need a lot of these platforms and services that we rely on to be, you know, uh, censorship proof. Um, we also need them to be, you know, uh, uh, proof to data hacks, you know, data leaks, and sometimes untracked modifications. And these are all challenges that present themselves in the way that we use the web today. Um, so if what we're offering which is blockchain technology and the decentralization of the web is what is at the core of what we're trying to achieve and then how do we educate people about that right so that brings it back to the question that you asked earlier you know why is this kind of education critical and i think i may have described some of the reasons why I think crypto education is important when I was kind of describing my journey. Yeah, um, for sure. One of, the, one of the things, you know, one of the things that I usually like to highlight is the fact that the learning, the learning curve is very steep. Um, I think regardless of what background you're coming into this ecosystem through, um, a lot of us find that there's a lot of different things to learn at the, at the same time. And a lot, of, a lot of this can present itself through cognitive overload, right? 
because in yeah. my case, in, you know, for, for me, for example, um, I had to learn about cryptography, you know, I had to learn about applied cryptography. We, uh, I think it may be the same for you, but we also had to learn about different governance structures of layer one networks, you know, learn about the different kinds of consensus algorithms out there and how, they, how they're beneficial to different types of networks. Uh, I think we also had to learn about protocol extensible user interfaces like wallets, you know, mm-hmm. I like how you were describing that you had no idea that perhaps you, you might need a hardware wallet as opposed to a social oh, wallet yes. if you're storing a certain, you know, amount of my of My crypto. learning my learning curve as a yeah. crypto investor, I have come a long way. <laughs> <laughs> Right? Those are are some of the things that you kind of have to contend with when you're coming into this space almost immediately. Um, And if you're coming into it with the mind of being a developer, of being a blockchain developer, web three developer, then you also have to learn about different kinds of decentralized data structures and the distributed database infrastructures that, you know, form the core architecture for building centralized applications you know you just kind of escape it um so then how how effective is the current learning process um and i i think i mentioned this earlier but what i found is that the fragmentation of learning resources was one of the biggest challenges that i faced um because a lot of these learning resources are available as the way I, I think the way I can describe it is um, small isolated information islands, you know, mm-hmm. um, and, and each of these islands, you know, every time you have to kind of switch between them, you know, it leads to that kind of cognitive overload that I was talking about. Um, and then another thing is also the poor discoverability of this content, you know. Um, I don't think anyone can point to a central place to kind of find a lot of the technical information that someone would need um, as a basis for where to start learning um, about all of this uh, crypto information. And this is obvious because, um, like I said, some of the uh, issues that have come up because of these challenges is that um, we have a high cost of misinformation within the industry, within the ecosystem. You know, um, I think every week now we kind of expect a, a certain kind of announcement that a certain government is maybe banning crypto in the country or some form of restriction. And this is a direct result of this kind of lack of access to the right information because what I have found is. I think beyond a focus on just educating, say, developers and users, it's become apparent that, you know, governments are also in dire need of crypto education. Um, we have a lot of people who are still falling prey to a lot of scams and scammers. This is another direct, you know, um, impact of a lot of lack of education or misinformation within the ecosystem. So we we do have a lot of reasons why we need a focus on education within the ecosystem. And I I think um, 
what what we're trying to offer with Porium is just um, one solution that is not going to cover all of these challenges because what we're trying to do with Porium is kind of create um, a plugin architecture, uh, a distributed platform where developers, users can be exposed to different kinds of blockchain network information in one place, um, you know, and just kind of offer them a coherent, you know, learning experience and a starting point, you know, for engineers to find all the information they need about different kinds of networks available. Um, and the way that we're doing this is by working with different formats, you know, to kind of accommodate the widest number of learners, right? So we're we are experimenting with video content, we're experimenting with text content, um, we're experimenting with code. Um, so we'll have a lot of code sampling, we'll have a lot of code um, exercises. And of course, all of the all of the all of the materials and the information that we'll be offering, um, we're gonna we what we're trying to do is we're trying to tailor it towards um, different learning parts that different kinds of developers can enjoy. So we have tracks for people who are trying to be who are still just learning um, or beginning to get started with blockchain, and then we have people who might be intermediate users um, of blockchains, people who know some of the basics, uh, but would like to take it further by kind of building actual distributed applications on the networks that they're choosing. Um, and then we'll be, we will, of course, be offering advanced tracks um, courses for people who, you know, um, just want to get to maybe building layer two solutions on the different protocols and networks that they might be interested in. Okay. And yeah, yeah, I think I think I've covered pretty much it. So who is Porium for? Porium is for developers. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Okay. So we're building. So although, yeah, although I did mention that, you know, users and governments also are uh, also need to be uh, educated on blockchain, uh, what we're offering on Porium will be focused mainly for people who are trying to become developers uh, within the ecosystem. Yeah, interesting. You know, as you as I was listening to you talk about, uh, I think in your description, you said I the 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 education in blockchain is like little islands. Is that what you said? Like little tiny islands. So it's like uh, there's a lot of education, <laughs> yeah, but it's siloed. I, 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 yeah, I was yeah. nodding my head yeah, because I described it as I was nodding my head because I think about my own, my own education and this space is very new and I'm like way, way, way at the beginning. I always say like, I know nothing, you know, but like my <laughs> learning is like, it's a combination of things, you know, it's podcasts, mm -hmm. it's, it's books, it's online courses mm -hmm. like Consensus and Block Geeks and Code Academy mm -hmm. and this place and that mm -hmm. place. It's talking to people like you mm -hmm. who are in the ecosystem. It's kernel, like when we were in there together, like it's it's an amalgamation yeah. of a lot of different sources. It's going mm -hmm. on Twitter and just yes. following all the, the people, the, the thought leaders and learning from them. So I feel like there isn't one source and because everything is so mm -hmm. new and changing all the time, it's ever evolving. 
um, perhaps it would be difficult to have one source. But I think also what you're trying to do is let people uh, know that, okay, there is one place where if you are a developer, for example, you can come to to get this very specific knowledge. So like you said, making them aware that there's a platform for that. So that's really helpful. Yeah, no, absolutely. And like I mentioned, um, we, we, we will definitely not be solving all the problems that present themselves with regards to actually tackling education in this in this space. Um, because like you rightly mentioned, um, there's a lot of contributing factors that actually go into it. Um, and it's impossible for one platform or just one solution to be it. There's, there's no silver bullet, right? Like we always say. Absolutely. Um, so of course, yeah. So what we are offering is just a, a small part of it, a tiny portion of it. Um, just a, a good starting place for any engineer who kind of wants to get started in the Web3 ecosystem. Um, so kind of like the first step on a stair that is, or, or the first step in a journey that's starting with a thousand mile. Um, so that's really what we're offering, that the easiest way to kind of, um, the way we place ourselves in the funnel um, on the developer journey in the ecosystem is at the very top. We, are the, we want to be the first platform that anyone coming into this space kind of interacts with. And we want to make that experience as smooth as possible so that developers don't kind of come in you know, they get stuck in, in cycles of kind of looking for information, they get frustrated and then they leave and never come back. Um, because you do that enough times and you find that you don't actually have anyone in the community at the end of the day. So that's the challenge we're trying to solve. Brilliant. And I wanna to get to the techie part and I know that's the part you love. So let's talk a little bit about mm -hmm. the features of the platform. I mean, one of the things that I learned from you actually, because um, people should know full disclosure, we were in the kernel together and that's how we met. And your project, mm -hmm. we were always having these discussions around, okay, there's the UI and you know all the different features and is there, you know, what is there gonna be a database and what kind of tutorials are we gonna have and the content and there's so many things to consider when you're building a platform such as this. So do you wanna take us through like, you don't have to do all, but just a few of like the main features that make your platform appealing to a developer. Um, yeah, definitely. Well, I think um, I would like to think that first and foremost, they will come for the content, yeah. which is of course the courses, the boot camps and the trainings that we'll be offering. Okay. Because a lot of that is going to focus on the particulars of different Web3 technologies. So we're going to be offering um, courses on say P2P internet overlay protocols like dev P2P and lib P2P. Um, we also have courses on platform neutral computational description languages like uh, UTXO. Uh, so you said that so fast. I promise. It's okay. <laughs> For the tech people get. listening, and they're going to love this. They're going to love this. <laughs> Right. Um, and of course, we're also going to be covering a lot of layer one distribution protocols. So we're going to be doing a lot of introductory courses to IPFS, Falcon, Algorand. Um, we also have Polkadot courses lined up. Mm. Um, and we're always looking for a lot of um, 
different partners to add to to our network so the more networks we can get courses developed for it then the more content we'll have available on the platform itself um and i think what i can cover for the features um i can do a quick back-end overview and then perhaps mm -hmm. a front-end overview and then um, then if you have any questions, I can try to answer them. Mm. Uh, so for the backend, we're going to build this using um, Textile's Hardgate. Um, then we're going to do a front-end JS framework and then a post, uh, post SQL database. Um, so the Powergate is an API solution that okay. has been created by Textile. Um, and what is what it's going to help us with on Porium is that it comes with a Lotus node, which is a Go implementation on the Falcon network. Um, and then it also comes with an IPFS node. Um, so this node will be running the back of the, the, of the Pargate Falcon um, uh, file system, which is what we'll be using to kind of upload all of these classes to the Falcon network. Okay. And then it comes with a backend metrics um, processor, which is Prometheus. And then, of course, Grafana and C Advisor, which also have other container metrics. Okay. And then, of course, we're going to we're going to build a JS client for this. So this is this is what a lot of the users will be interacting with, because each of this will provide a uh, an authentication request and create FFS instances for platform users. And then each of this, um, you know, Falcon file systems is what will be saved on the Falcon network as the unique identity for the users of the platform. Okay. So every, every, every learner on the platform, we kind of have their own unique identity and every cost that they kind of go through um, they will have their own unique experience and it will be logged on, on the network and stored on, on the distributed database. Okay. All right. What yeah. I'm curious about is, because I remember there were discussions about uh, levels of like gaming elements. Is that still there? Like rewarding reward systems for, for the users of the platform? Yes, definitely. So that is something that we are still considering mm. because when we started out, um, we, we we definitely want to incorporate a lot of the web monetization standards on the platform. And what this means is that we want to incorporate a circular earning uh, module on the platform where the learners um, can, can earn rewards um, during their learning experience. Right. And perhaps if we can also find a way of um, kind of rewarding people who um, generate courses on the platform. So yeah. these are the two ways of, of, of incorporating web monetization on the platform that we're exploring. Um, we, we are looking at ways of perhaps incorporating the intellectual protocol, but um, there's still discussions that we still have to have. Um, but it's, it's something that we're definitely trying to incorporate on the platform. Okay. And are you going to also have, I know you're going to have tutors. Is this going to be pre-recorded or live tutors, live tutoring? How is that going to work? So I think that will depend on the course itself, right? Because okay. like I mentioned, we, 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 we will be experimenting with different formats to accommodate the widest number of, of learners. 
Um, so depending on the course, uh, depending on the structure of the course, depending on the elements and the components that um, go into learning uh, that particular course, I will then determine which format is best for it. Um, and then that's what the users will kind of find on the platform. Got it. Now, what do you think makes your um, platform unique compared to all the other platform ed tech sort of let's let's forget about blockchain for a second, but just as an ed tech platform <laughs> as a learning platform, what do you think makes it makes it unique makes it stand out. So I think the biggest thing that we, we're going to try to incorporate into the nature of the platform itself is mm. the community aspect of the learning process. Nice. Um, because we don't want it to be just a top-down learning experience where someone just tells you how something is or the way something works. Um, we want the learners to come and kind of interact with other learners, um, kind of test out everything they're learning together, experiment together, maybe perhaps even at the end of a certain uh, learning track, um, get together and try to build decentralized applications right. um, that they can then uh, move forward with as, as viable solutions or as viable startups, which is essentially what we have in mind for this platform, for it to be a funnel for people who are coming in who might be just enthusiasts of Web3 and kind of taking them through all the different tracks and kind of have them emerge as co-founders and actual viable contributors into the Web3 ecosystem. So we're, we're leading with a community first um, aspect to everything that we're doing on the platform. And we want this to be kind of a community driven solution for the ecosystem itself. Yeah, because as, as you were saying, um, mentioning, you know, becoming co-founders or creating, what came to mind is is success. How how is success going to be measured on Porium? Is that going to be based on the number of developers actually completing and passing courses, or is it going to be based on those who actually go off and become creators in the ecosystem? And creator could be anything. It could be a, a developer. It could be a, a co-founder. So how how do you think you're going to measure success on the platform? So I think for us, we will know that what we're doing is working if at the end of it, we, we have people who are um, joining the platform and then becoming contributors to the developer journey and the developer ecosystem and the Web3 ecosystem itself. Um, so we wanna take them through a journey of not just becoming Web3 enthusiasts, like I mentioned, but kind of taking them to the point of becoming advocates of this technology because they have seen all the applicable use cases with this, within this technology because they have seen the benefits within, within this technology. Um, and they want to share all of that with kind of the rest of the internet and, and the rest of the developers um, you know, across, across the world. Fantastic. So speaking of journey, what lessons have you learned from your journey of building Porium that you'd like to share with us? Oh, wow. Because oh, I mean, Porium, okay. Porium is, when is Porium going <laughs> to launch? When is Porium going to launch, like officially? So we're looking at a pilot date of March 10th. Um, okay. So that's when all the 
all the courses that we've been developing will be available on the platform. Okay. Uh, we'll officially launch the platform and we can have the first users kind of um, registering for all these courses because all of the courses that we'll uh, present initially will be self-paced. Right. Um, so learners can kind of just come in, register, and then start learning at their own pace. Um, so March 10th, you can check out uh, porium.crypto. Um, we'll, be, we'll be hosting this on Unstoppable Domains. Okay. Um, and yeah, you can come and learn. Uh, but I think for me, the, the journey the lesson. The lesson, of, yeah. Of this journey, I think. Um, I don't know. I don't know who's said it best, but I think um, they said that the first step of any project is usually to grossly underestimate its complexity and its difficulty. Mm. And that is definitely something that I can relate with. Um, because of course, going into this, um, we had our mission, we had our vision. Um, but once you start looking at the, you know, the nitty gritty, you find that all the complexity is actually hidden, um, you know, in, in, in the big, in the big uh, target or milestones. Um, so we kind of had to do a lot of decomposition, kind of break down a lot of our targets into smaller, more achievable um, goals. Mm. And that's pretty much what helped us to kind of take it step by step uh, and kind of bring it to a point where we think we have something that we can bring uh, to, to, to the marketplace. Okay, so where is Sonia going to be in, say, five, 10 years? Oh, snap. I cannot answer that. <laughs> <laughs> Sadly, I cannot answer that. Um, okay, that's fair. That's honest. I, that's I, honest. I, I'm not, I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm not I mean, particularly optimistic. <laughs> you're not? <laughs> Sonia. Not about myself, no. <laughs> Dear. Okay. Well, we'll see. It's all early stage but, now. Um, but <laughs> yeah. Let's see. If I'm, if I'm here tomorrow, mm. the best I can do, Joanne, is if I'm here tomorrow, um, I'm going to do my best to contribute the best that I can. And if I'm here the day after that, I'll do that too. And yeah. I'll do that, I guess, every day until... I guess I can't do it anymore. I like that. That's an honest answer. That's you're the first person when I ask the question, where are you going to be five, 10 years from now? You're just like, hmm, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> this first time. Excellent. But I think that's an honest yeah. answer. And I think I think that's very brave to just say, you know what? I don't know. But you're going with the flow. You're building Porium. It's launching in March. Where can mm -hmm. people find you, Sonia? Where do you hang out? If people want to well, connect with you, uh, you can find me on Twitter um, at Real Chain Life. Um, also on Telegram at Real Chain Life. Uh, okay. If you want to check out my GitHub, it's at Real Chain Life. And then, yeah, website, realchainlife.crypto. So I'm pretty much Real Chain Life everywhere. You are. Yeah. And everywhere <laughs> where you are, you've got the same tagline let's decentralize uh -huh. the web. So it's like, <laughs> It's, it's very clear, like what you're about and what you're doing. And I think that's brilliant. That's something I need to learn to do, actually, because like you always read, you know, like just be clear. <laughs> I think I really want us to thing. decentralize the web. No, that's good. Mm -hmm. That's your mission. And maybe that's where you'll be <laughs> in five, 10 years, Sonia, decentralizing the web. 
Awesome. There you go. Because it's so connected yeah. to awesome. to your story and it's so personal, personal to you. And I do appreciate you coming on and sharing your story. Mm -hmm. And I look forward to, you know, hearing more about Porium when it when everything five let's do this in five ten years you come back on the pod i'm still going to be doing this podcast <laughs> that for sure you come back on the podcast All right, and then, we, then have, a, we have this discussion it's again it's a deal okay sonia okay, lovely fantastic. sonia i will see you in five years in nairobi awesome. we do Thanks it in nairobi <laughs> always a pleasure to talk to you sonia thank you so much for coming on the podcast and until next time folks so thank you for having me absolute pleasure Bye for now. Thanks for joining us. This is an original Rare Birds HQ creation. It was produced by Rare Birds HQ and is meant for informational purposes only. If you enjoyed today's show, let me know by writing a review and do share it with your friends. Lastly, don't forget to subscribe to receive the weekly podcast newsletters, weekly news, and of course, more podcasts. Do visit the website at www.rarebirdshq.com. Until next time, rare ones, bye for now.